1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I help people make friends. just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. We had a nice compliance session today, Dow gaining 151 points, S&P rising 0.64%, Nasdaq advancing 0.60%. But we didn't get what we desperately need, which is a better reason to buy more stocks here. This morning, and some last night, I went over about 300 different stocks, 300 with an eye to finding new names to introduce to members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. See, every month I give a talk where I try to offer club members at least one new compelling idea. And you know what? How many did I find, How many did I find out of the uh, 300? Four. Yeah, that's right. Only four stocks. Uh, uh, four uh, out, of, out of 300 pass my test. Why am I being so selective? Let me walk you through my rubric for what's worth buying in this treacherous moment. First, I want stocks that don't need a trade deal to go higher because I don't know if we're going to get a trade deal or not. As these talks with China drag on with endless contradictory leaks on both sides, the list of casualties grows longer and longer. Earlier this week, we spoke to David Farr, a longtime CEO of Emerson Electric, knows more than all of us. I think he might be willing to break up the business, literally split it in half on my value. I love breakups. They tend to be fabulous for shareholders. But does that mean you can just go buy the stock of Emerson? Uh-uh, not so fast. See, Farr's been a visionary. And how do you tell that? Because he built a gigantic presence in China before everybody else, because the Chinese market was the huge source of growth in the world. Unfortunately, he didn't predict, as did no one else, the full extent of President Trump's trade war. So now Emerson's got a problem. There's not much Emerson can do about it other than hope things will blow over or the Chinese economy won't be hit too hard or the Communist Party won't expropriate their factories to strengthen their bargaining position. I mean, who wants that kind of risk? Not me. Sadly, this great American company stock has become too binary. It's a deal or no deal situation. And that makes the stock too difficult to own, even those I'd love to tell you 3% yield good balance sheet far, you know, then there's Cisco, the uh, CSCO. Kind. In August, they reported a shortfall. And even though China's only roughly about 3% of their business, maybe a little less, it played a very negative role in the shortfall. Cisco got hammered again today. Goldman Sachs buyed a whole downgrade. But even though the stocks become incredibly cheap, how do we know the numbers are, are, aren't, are done c- coming down? You can't know. Nobody knows where this trade war might go next. Look, look here's a good one. Two days ago, NVIDIA, not my dog, but the, just my dog, he, he ate a whole bag of gummies last night. Can you believe it? Had to take him to vet. Up all night. The white, whatever. Uh, the stock plummeted seven points two days ago because our government decided to crack down on technologies that China might use for facial recognition to help perpetuate human rights abuses. Who knows if Nvidia's technology is even used there for that? It didn't matter though. Nobody saw that coming. No more than my wife did with those CBD gummies that she keeps feeding him because it makes him so he can jump up on the bed. He couldn't get up before. All right, think about what happened uh, with uh, with Apple. Okay, what what would have occurred? What would have occurred to this to this if they hadn't pulled this app? that the Hong Kong protesters were using to track the locations of the police, Apple's policies first do no harm. It was enabling protesters to target police, so it had to go. But you have to wonder, right? You have to wonder if China will still punish Apple for even having the site up to begin with. I mean, think about what they're doing with the NBA, right? So what if you're a retailer that lacks the clout of the, of the larger players, like a uh, watch by acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot? What if you can't switch your supply chain fast enough to avoid the next round of tariff increases scheduled for next week? When I was flipping through the S&P, a huge number of stocks were exposed to at least one or more of these flashpoints. My next test. Well, ask yourself if you're looking at a company that's going to be disrupted by competitors who are playing with free money or a superior technology. The other day we spoke with Rich Allison. I don't know if you saw it. He's the terrific CEO of Domino's. And uh, he he talked about how the third-party delivery services are willing to lose big money to partner with competitors. Domino's may have the best food delivery system on the planet, but they can't compete with free. I mean, they can't compete at least with these platforms that are willing to lose money on every order. These same venture capital-funded competitors are why the stock of Grubhub is only a couple of points from its 52-week low. We're seeing the same kind of disruption all over the place. Amazon's disrupted the freight companies. You see the stock, FedEx? Oh, my God. Digital and off-price retailers have disrupted the department store. You see the price of Macy's? Oh, my God. You see Merck's disrupted the oncology protocols with Keytruda, its blockbuster cancer drug. Wind and solar are disrupting natural gas. You see GE's price? That's turbines. Roku's disrupted cable TV. See that stock? Flying. Facebook and Alphabet disrupted traditional publishers. Rent the Runways disrupted the apparel business. Harry's and Dollar Shave disrupted razors. By the way, that Dollar Shave, it is so sharp. I cut myself last night. Can you see it? I mean, boom. I had to Like, you you put the tissue paper on. It's like gets on your cup. Can you see it? Just like this, I went. I mean, I, I think I've slipped my throat with this thing. Anyway, it's too sharp. Now, the most visible of all besides this, The cloud plays have obliterated on-premise software. Right now, it feels like there are fewer and fewer stocks that are immune to disruption. Third, some markets are just too ugly to participate in at the moment. The auto industry is in awful shape, and now GM's on strike. You don't want any auto exposure here. That means no paint, no glass, no seats, no aluminum, no nothing. Anything with low exposure is likely to miss numbers. That's deadly in this environment. Then there's Boeing, which is weighing down the whole aerospace industry. There are so many companies that make parts for airplanes, I expect them to cut numbers when they report thanks to the 737 MAX issue. Total no-fly zone. Fossil fuels, toxic. Whether we're talking about the drillers, the oil service plates, the pipelines, or the actual products. This also extends to plastics, which younger hedge fund managers believe is the new coal. test, probably the most important one of all right now. The Warren factor. Wall Street is terrified by Elizabeth Warren. I'm Elizabeth Warren and I approve of this message. Most money managers see her as a one-woman wrecking crew. Paul Crew and the wrecking crew. The longest election. Single payer, that's the end of the managed care industry and the end of big problems for the drug companies. Banks, she wants to break them up and ratchet up the regulation. Some say she won show trials. Frocking, <laughs> are you kidding me? That's a curse word. Which uh, whether whether uh, whatever growth might be left in the fossil fuel cohort. Big tech, talking about massive antitrust uh, investigations, and that's not even addressing Wall Street's biggest fear, higher capital gains taxes. If you listen to some portfolio managers, they're acting like they'll lose their livelihoods if Warren wins the election. I think they're being petty and pretty alarmist. Wharton is not trying to destroy capitalism. It's just an old school New Deal style liberal. Order. And even if she wins in a landslide, she's going to have a hard time getting most of the stuff through Congress. My view means nothing here, though. Not when Wall Street regards her as the second coming of Lenin. What do you think? Often recognized, he considered his great great uh, nephew. Uh, or at best, maybe Yui Long or uh, Mary Raise Less Corn and More Hell Lease. Put it all together, and that's a lot of stocks that are off-limits, isn't it? There are still a few that can pass all four tests, but not many. Not enough. And because so many companies could potentially be in trouble, nothing will be protected from the waves of S&P futures selling that we keep getting, like the one that, that happened last night before Trump put out a positive tweet. Sure, you can buy the handful of stocks that pass my test after they get knocked down by the futures, but once this next wave of selling starts again, you're going to be hammered again. What could change? Well, we could get some kind of trade deal. I think it's possible that the president might postpone the next round of tariffs if the Chinese give him any concessions, including maybe big purchases of American hogs. China's hog supply has been devastated by the African swine flu, so they need, they're in desperate, desperate need of our pork. But then there will just be another deadline, another set of talks, another rinse and repeat. Throughout the water, torture bankers will heap more and more supply on this market with their hapless IPOs. Thanks for nothing, IPO merchants, merchants of loss. The bottom line. This is an unhealthy moment for our market. Our only saving grace? I don't know a soul who likes this environment. Sentiment's extremely negative, but occasionally, rarely, sentiment can be correct. If we don't get some sort of trade deal in the president's terms and all this bearish sentiment, who knows? It might turn out to be right. Patrick from
2: Florida. Patrick! Oh, hi. This is Patrick's mom, and Patrick has a question for you. Sure! Booyah! Booyah. Hi. I am nine
1: years old also, I've been watching your show and I really like it. I especially like your sound effects, like "so, so, so, bye, bye, bye." That's a cinema you, Go ahead. <laughs> you inspired me to make my own Ameritrade account with my mom. I've I've also been thinking of the company Hasbro Gaming.
2: So, do you think it's a bear or a bull?
1: Oh, I'm very bullshit on Hasbro. Right. Look, it was at 89 when we last had Brian on. It went up to 118. He's uh, pulling out, a, you know, he's trying to move uh, all the China manufacturing away. But more important, Patrick, I have to tell you, you make me feel great. And so does your ma, because I know I'm relevant. Hey, by the way, we are six years older than Patrick. And we're closing in on what show? Our three. Thousand show. Sentiment is so negative right now, we don't get some sort of trade deal, though. The center might turn out to be correct. All my money tonight. I'm getting to the meat of Hormel's Investor Day with the CEO, finding out if it's time to add an investment in the company to your plate. Then this popular retailer stock is taking a bath in this market. Over with the announcement of a new CEO, the stock's soaring today, I'm rousing the aisles of, well, let me tease. I'm not telling you yet. And my exclusive with the man who dressed America, including me, the legendary Mickey dragon Dres- So, Patrick and everyone else, you're not going to want to miss it. And stay with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, unlock the energy and order yours at acura.com
2: take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit u.s restaurants and gas stations that's the powerful backing of american express Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com business gold card.
1: This sold out in seven hours, But The whole thing, you can't get it. It's 25 bucks. 25 bucks on eBay. And I've got one. And you know what? It's darn good. And that's because <laughs> it. What? Mm Mmm-mmm! That's some delicious pumpkin spice SPAM! In this environment, it makes sense to fall back on safe, consistent companies. Is there anything more consistent than Hormel Foods, the maker of Spam? Not to mention Genio Turkey and Skippy Peanut Butter, Applegate Farms Organic Deli Meats, Justin's. Wow. Today, Hormel held a major investor meeting in New York City. But even though they told a good story, the stock got hit anyway. I think that's wrong. Don't take it from me, though, or from my teriyaki Spam that I've got. Earlier today, we checked in with Jim Sneak the chairman and CEO of this great American company that is Hormel Foods. Take a look. Jim, your company's at a crossroads. It's the fast forward company, but it also is the historical company. It's it's brands that I love, like happy little plants, but it's also this brand. And this brand is back,
4: isn't it? Well, the brand never left. Right. Oh, so fair you enough. know, from where we sit, you know, spam is just an iconic brand and it, it really is foundation of the company. But you know, the growth is extraordinary. Five consecutive years of record growth. And how long so, did it take pumpkin spice spam to sell out? Seven hours. So when we introduced or announced that we were gonna sell it in August, since that time we've had a billion, not a million, a billion media impressions sold out in seven hours and now the product is being resold on the internet, 25 bucks a can. It's incredible the this, response we've got. This, twenty, wow, I've got gold here. Absolutely. But this is
1: not the Hormel that people thought. This is a Hormel, obviously, you've always had the, one of the best dividend records, one of the great growth records, but we don't think about your company as forward enough to be able to have a pumpkin spice or to have what I think may be the best of all these burgers.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, for us, it's really about this, we call it a food journey. Right, and so when you go back in our history, it was about iconic brands like Spam, Mary Kitchen Hash, you know, and then we evolved into non-meat proteins with Skippy, um, but then really getting into some purpose-driven brands like Applegate and Justin's. And so this big initiative for us is Food Forward. We are a food company. We're incredibly proud to be a food company, and. I mean, we know that there's going to be this constant evolution, and we need to be ahead of it because the consumer is changing faster than they ever have. Now, the Applegate move, initially people thought
1: you paid a lot. I haven't known Applegate from when it started, but Applegate is still the purest in the supermarket, it?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's the leading brand in the organic and natural space. Um, what we've done with it, though, because of our distinct capabilities. We've taken it out of just retail. We've moved it into the food service space. And so it's now connecting with colleges and universities and connecting with an even younger consumer who's going to set it up for a successful future. Well, let's talk about colleges, universities, and millennials.
1: The brand Justice is a brand that resonates, even on your website. This is a company that I think is kind of I don't, my, my generation new age, yeah. but it's doing well.
4: It is. It's doing well, and it really was an extension of this, what we call, nut butter platform. Right. So we had right. Skippy, Justin's was a, a natural extension, and it gave us a, another great platform for innovation. Innovation is, is a lifeblood to our company. We did it with Skippy, and we've done it with Justin's.
1: I was surprised that uh, ideation to market. Uh, the fastest of the consumer packaged
4: shoes comes. Yeah, I mean we're really fast and a great example, you mentioned it a little while ago, Happy Little Plants. So, I mean, everybody knows what's happening with plant-based proteins. Um, that was a trend that we saw coming. Right. Uh, we had actually partnered with another company and then when the, the IPO market hit, right. that partner said, you know what, we want to try and go it alone. So, instead of buying, we had to build. And we put our team in motion and we got it from ideation to market in eight to ten weeks. Absolutely incredible.
1: Now, your company has uh, driven dividend aristocrat, has done so much for shareholders, and yet here's uh, beyond. Beyond me, just beyond belief when I think about it. The valuation of just buried in your company of happy little plants and really the best of this, of the organic uh, uh, protein base, versus a company that really has, a, a, you would say, a loaded with chemicals burger. I mean, how, how can the Wall Street, how can the people at home justify what Hormel, Hormel's price is versus beyond?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, it's all about the consumer. right? And so there's no arguing that the consumer is more curious about plants than they ever have been. Right. And so, you know, when it comes to valuation of the company, all we can worry about is ourselves. And it's about how do we grow our business organically? How do we innovate? And how do we continue to make disciplined acquisitions?
1: Now, there are two elements that you can't control. Uh, One is price of avocado. because Because, look, guacamole is a huge business for you. And African swine flu. Talk
4: to me about the cost inputs of those two. Yeah. So in our third quarter, we had a, a run-up in avocados that compressed margins. But, I mean, that's a short-term blip, right? Okay. It is about the consumer demand and the strength of the brand. Right. And so holy guacamole is, is well-positioned for the, for the future. Um, you know, from African swine fever, I mean, that's going to be a pork supply yes. disruption. And again, you know, we, it's going to have an impact at some point in time. Markets haven't run up. But that's a short-term thing, right? That short-term margin compression. The longer-term story is about the health of the brand, the health of the business. We'll get through all the noise because we've got amazing brands.
1: Can the Chinese bid up the price of of pigs to the point where it's gonna hurt you?
4: Well, it'll have an impact in (laughs) terms of the short-term, right? I mean, they're obviously large consumers of pork, and as that demand from China ramps up, it'll have an impact on the supply. But the way we think about it, is it's short term and we've been through this before right right? we know how to navigate pricing we know how to manage our supply and so as we think about it over the long term we're going to be just fine you've gotten out
1: of just the center of the store not that your center store is done poorly again amazing Mm -hmm. but you're talking about deli counter as being a major growth area how did that stagnant area become a growth area
4: well again it's the consumer So two years ago, we made the acquisition of Columbus Craft Meats, a West Coast brand. It's one of the leading deli companies. And for us, it became a catalyst. So we had all these fragmented Mm -hmm. businesses focused on the deli. This allowed us to bring them all together in one unified front because the consumer is shopping the perimeter of the store, the deli, different than they ever have before. So they're going there for entertainment. They're going there for grab-and-go snacks. They're now going there for dinner. Right, the prepared food section, it's no longer just roasted chicken and mac and cheese. I mean these are culinary themed offerings in prepared foods. The beauty of it for us is we have an incredible food service business that can help retailers capitalize on that trend. You uh, and all the discussion we've had are a food
1: company. You've Absolutely. Really lost the desire to be a food company. All through the years yep. everyone on the consumer package goods side seems to run from it. Why
4: are you running to it? Because food has a way of connecting people like nothing else in our society. And it's all about good quality food. So we, we actually have termed ourselves a global branded food company. Right. Not CPG, right. not an ag company, global branded food company. It's all about the food. It's all about the brands. And we do want to become more global. Now, it would seem to me that uh,
1: you've got more runway to be global than almost all of the multi-billion
4: dollar food companies I follow. Is this your chance to do it? Yeah, and we have been doing it. It's just, you know, it hasn't accelerated as quickly as we like. We've got a good business in China that's focused on the China market. Two years ago, we made a small investment in Brazil to learn about that market. The business is doing well, and we're getting the learnings to to have a platform approach to the business. But there's going to be other opportunities for us to become even more global over time. Okay, now in the last few minutes that we have, your company is a
1: company that identifies with something we've been identifying with on their money, and it's a bit of a new pivot for us. We call it impact per share. Your corporate and social responsibility, social has always been at the forefront. Tell us some of the things that you're doing to make things better in the
4: and we I mentioned it earlier we call it our food journey right? right and there's really three pillars it's making sure that we take care of our people because none of this happens without our right. people and our partners incredibly important to our business making sure that we take care of the communities right. by having great sustainability goals but giving back to the communities where we live and work and then through this whole food platform creating products that improve the lives of consumers It could be for a health benefit. It could Mm -hmm. be for a craving, right? A lot of different reasons. But as you think about our portfolio, it's broad, it's deep, and it's improving the lives of consumers. And so those three pillars on our food journey, that's where we're making a difference. And then finally, a dividend.
1: Uh, Our people like a continual dividend stream. People may not know how committed you and the 48 percent of the company that's owned by the Hormel Foundation, which allows you to do a lot of experimentation, is deeply committed to the dividend even though you're trying to do new different things.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned we're a dividend aristocrat, double-digit increases for double-digit years, and we are incredibly fortunate to have the Hormel Foundation, 48%, and their focus is three things. To preserve the independence of the company, which gives us that longer-term view to provide for the Hormel heirs, and then to give back to the com- the community where we're based. And so we are so uncommon in that we're based in a town of 23,000 people, a $9.5 billion company in Austin, Minnesota. And so having that foundation, we say it's the greatest gift we ever got from the Hormel family. And it's something that obviously uh, you mentioned plant-based there. Uh, a company walked away from partnering with you, and it
1: didn't seem to matter. Who who was that?
4: Well, it it doesn't matter who it was, but but when they saw the IPO, the valuation that they thought they could get on their own, right? and so we wished them well, and then we put our resources to action and said, okay, we're no longer going to partner or buy, we're going to build this thing. And so we've got the first entry, we've got customer acceptance, And now we're expanding the line. The other thing that we're doing is we know that consumers experience these new trends in food service for the first time. And so our well-developed food service business and having happy little plants engaged there is going to be an incredible opportunity for us. And
1: food service plus, uh, to me, the invention... Uh, the ingenuity speaking, so even this global trade turmoil doesn't impact you guys.
4: Yeah, I mean, not to the degree that it does right. to some others.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and being faithful to Mad Money. Absolutely, I know the company has been, and we love dividends, we love growth, we love honesty, we love sustainability. That is all what you give us with Hormel. I want to thank Jim Snee, who's chairman, president, and CEO of Hormel
4: Foods, sir. Thank you so much. Yes, for on the show. Jim, always a pleasure. Thank you.
3: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required Head to netsuite.com to start saving.
2: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match
1: There's a price for everything, at least in the stock market. Sooner or later, beaten down stocks become investable again, as long as the underlying company isn't going out of business and the balance sheet is good. Just look at the incredible action today in Bed, Bath & Beyond. For years, this home goods chain was an absolute dog. Thanks to ferocious competition from Amazon and better-run brick-and-mortar rivals, especially Target, it's hemorrhaged market share. Companies seemed aimless, wasting billions of dollars on useless buybacks as management repeatedly failed to commit to a real turnaround strategy. They know nothing! Bed Bass, the poster child for how feckless executives can drive a previously good business right into the ground. Stock peaked around $80 a few years ago. Yesterday, it closed at $9 and change. But here's a shocker. The company's still profitable. It's got more than 1,500 stores and an okay balance sheet. Bed Bath just needed direction. And that's what it got last night when the board poached none other than Target's chief merchandising officer, Mark Tritton. And named him the new CEO. What a get! In response, the stock surged more than 21% today. I think that move actually made perfect sense. Bed Bath had been beaten down to the point where it was too cheap to ignore. The stock was like a coiled spring, especially given the humongous short position going into the session. So is this thing finally bottomed? We need to be careful here. People have lost fortunes. Speculating on a Bed Bath & Beyond turnaround. Now, I've been warning you away from this stock for ages, but you know what? You know what? I think it's time to go positive on this one. Okay, so you missed you missed a couple of, sm- of smackers today. Listen to me. Bed-Bass has been punished enough. Now that they've got a competent CEO better than that, a great CEO coming in, I'm thinking the stock has not just a little more, but a lot more upside. What makes you say that? Okay, back in April, a trio of activist hedge funds got involved here. Legion Partners, Micellum Advisors, and Encore Advisors. I know Micellum, uh, John Dusk, i known for 30 years. He spoke at my corporate governance content, uh, conference in the spring about the need to change things, and these guys had bold plans to turn things around and a strong track record. But at the same time, I told you Bed Bath was still too toxic to touch no matter what. Even when the activists effectively won their proxy contest in May, see the old co-chairman and then now former CEO, Steve Tamaris, I still said, no, 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 the stock is a sell. Sure enough, the stock spiked up to $19 and change when those activists got involved, and then it proceeded to lose more than half its value. Even though there was some reason uh, there were to, to expect a term, Bed Bath reported a hideous quarter in June, and investors started worrying that they might get slammed again by the trade war. By mid-August, the stock had plunged to $7 and change. Uh, but at those levels, it was selling for just five times earnings, and that is ridiculously cheap. Remember, this company's profitable. Uh, it's cheap unless you're convinced the actual earnings are going to be much, much worse going forward. And, man, even in the low double digits where it is today, I've got to tell you, this is a very different story. Right now, Bed Bath sells for 6.4 times this year's earnings. That's an incredible bargain if you think the company will come even close to making the numbers. At these levels, you have to stop fretting about what can go wrong. you got to start imagining about what can go right. And it's frankly not that hard to imagine. Not anymore. In the last couple of weeks, Bed Bath had two major positive developments that had been completely overlooked. Makes me feel more confident about recommending this as a special situation. Now, you already knew, I've told you, about the new CEO they picked last night. I'm going to give you more on him in a minute. Before then, though, Bed Bath had already started to turn, okay? Stock didn't lie here. Uh, See, last Wednesday, the CUP reported a seemingly hideous quarter. It looked very ugly on the surface. However, when you drilled down, I felt there were a number of positives. Uh, while Bath's revenue came in weaker than expected and the same store, sales were absolutely disastrous, shrinking by 6.7%, which is just awful. Sell, 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 sell. When the analysts only expected a 5.4% decline, there was a major silver lining. The company earned 34 cents a share. That was substantially better than the 27 cents that Wall Street was looking for. Buy, 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 buy. and similar management cut their full-year earnings forecast. Bad. But the numbers were still substantially better than what the analysts were modeling. Good! The bulls were hoping Bed Bath would announce their new CEO, though. And when that didn't happen, well, the stock got hammered. People just said, you know what? Nobody wants this job. Which brings us to last night. Bed Bath desperately needed a permanent CEO that investors can trust. You know what? I can't actually imagine a better pick than Mark Tritton, Target's chief merchandising officer, who takes over on November 4th. Target's one of the few retailers that's been able to thrive in this environment. Well, that's why I made it part of my acronym called WATCH, which is Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. Even though it's the smallest of these companies, by far, if you look at their stocks, you will know that they've just rallied throughout this whole period of turmoil. Other than Amazon, Target's been bed-bath's worst enemy. But now they've got one of Target's best executives running the show. What's Tritton done at Target? He was a major player in rolling out their highly successful omni-channel operation. That's huge. He turned around Target's private label business. Fabulous. Oh, and he's been responsible for keeping Target's suppliers in line. Major reason why they haven't really been hurt by the tariffs. Once he takes over next month, Tritton needs to do the same thing for Bed Bath, while also improving their merchandise assortments and cleaning up the capital structure. There's a reason why he was shortlisted from day one. Bed Bath wants to make itself relevant again, and he's the guy to do it. Why am I so confident? Because we've learned that Triton wanted to be paid in stock as a key part of his compensation package. Rather than getting a big siding bonus, he's betting on himself. I want to bet with him. And look, Tritton's not crazy. He never, he never would have taken this job if he believed that Bed Bath was a lost cause. I think the fundamentals are better than most people seem to appreciate. There were some genuine positives in that last quarter. On the conference call, Bed Bath pointed out that they've saved hundreds of millions of dollars by improving their Byzantine, mostly American, sourcing model. That's why I'm not worried about the tariffs. The company's already fixing the ridiculously inefficient supply chain, and they won't have to they won't have to raise prices to you if the tariffs ramp next week. They're also planning to sell off some of these smaller businesses that have really cluttered the joint, uh, and they're going to uh, monetize some of the real estate. Management wouldn't put a specific number on it, but I bet it could be somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars? That's a big deal. Why? Because Bed is only a billion and a half dollar company. Oh, and they already have about a billion dollars of cash in the balance sheet. Best of all, it appears that Bath sales for the current quarter have improved versus the quarter they just reported. The company only needs to stem the bleeding a little to make the numbers. We're talking down 4% same-store sales rather than down 6%. Plus, they took a $200 million charge uh, for inventory, and they're planning to remove $350 million of inventory, stale inventory, from their stores before the holidays. That means the stores will be clean. But does that ever make a big difference. Very few clearance items dragging down their gross margins. I'm expecting a major pickup in full-price sales. And look, even if the estimates need to be cut, even if they can only, say, make a buck fifty instead of the $2 people are looking for, the stock would still be absurdly cheap at eight times earnings. Bottom line here, and this is really important, people, Bed bath is back. They finally brought in a hyper competent CEO. And even after the stock's monster run, 21% today, I think it's got a lot more upside. In a major change for me and mad money, I would buy some of this stock here. And then if you get a pullback, you know what? Turnarounds do take a little time. I would definitely buy more. BBBY. Who'd have thunk it? Stick with quick. What does the future of retail look like? We're about to find out at a time when traditional mall-based stores are dropping like flies. We've also encountered some spectacular growth stories that are trying to reinvent the industry. Tonight, I want to introduce you to another one. Alex Mill. It's a private company that was founded seven years ago by Alex Drexler. He's the son of Mickey Drexler, the guy who turned Gap and J.Crew into global powerhouses. Alex Mill relaunched earlier this year with a new leadership team. They make easy-to-wear essentials for men and women, stuff that's always in style and likely to become part of your day-to-day uniform. Sort of like the old J. Crew, maybe, except better style, better manufacturing, better price, no massive network of physical stores holding them back with overpriced, often throw away product and too much inventory. Inventory being the bane of any retailer's existence, as I'm taught by the great Mickey Drexler. That's right. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with the man himself, Miller Mickey Drexler, the retail legend who's currently the founder of Drexler Ventures and chairman of Alex Mill. He has a better sense of the business and the broader industry. Mr. Drexler, welcome back to Man Money. How great are to you? Great to see you, Mickey. How Good to see you.
5: See you. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, Mickey, you're back in
5: making clothes. Yep. Uh, and I want to know why. Why? Uh, it's in my DNA. I can't help it. It keeps, uh, keeps my brain exercised. Uh, I love the creativity of clothes. You know, the, the, uh, uh, the business has always been in my blood f- for many, my whole life, in fact. You know, my father sold buttons and peace goods or bought buttons and peace goods. So I'm back. And, uh, you know, when you leave the big jobs, you get a little bored. Right. And uh, I was a little bored until I started to do this. Well,
1: Alex Mill, to me, offers truth in terms of what you're get- getting and value, which are two things that I think are not in the mall and not in the catalogs and not in the e-commerce uh, things that are just thrown onto a website. That's how it resonates to me. Is that what you're trying to get?
5: Well, well it, it's really simple. Uh, I say it's simple in, in, in our minds. Uh, I looked at it. Uh, my son had a men's only business. Uh, Samsak Sikamong became available. I worked with him for many years uh, at, at our old company. Okay. When he became available, I put him together with Alex And I got involved, Uh, either I'm chief kibitzer; they call me chairman, but uh, I I thought that the world, again, it's just my personal opinion, could use what you described. Uh, You can't leave the store or the the website kind of not looking good in a sense. And it's always been something I felt strongly about style, taste, value, and quality. I've repeated those words for 40 years I've been running companies.
1: Now, is the mall dying because it doesn't offer those? Is there something about the pricing structure of when you go buy something, say, at a department store, that's just wrong?
5: Well, you know, to me, and everyone says it's direct-to-consumer today, I think the structure is when there are two profits, two markups, instead of one, uh, it already inflates the perceived value of goods. Because okay. customers know, number two, If you take your device uh, and go online, I don't know if half the goods are available at a better price by just punching a few buttons. Uh, Number three, I think really importantly, the lack of passion for great product and creativity is, is also a very important reason the malls are not doing as well. There's not enough excitement to fill them up, and frankly, and I have all my friends are going to get mad at this in the mall business, they're not doing enough to make them creative, compelling places you want to hang out in, with the exception of some.
1: The first time I met you, you said two things to me, which is that the secret of success, so I asked what, George, the I, you have to have an I, and you can't have too much inventory. And I, I've never stopped thinking about those, because that's how I judge all retail in the end. You have an eye. Uh, can algorithms have an eye? Can people, have, can people get a list of what you like and have an eye from it?
5: Uh, uh, no. Uh, I, I, first of all, I don't know what an algorithm is, uh, and, and maybe that's my problem, because I hear the word being mentioned constantly, right. uh, and data, uh, algorithms, and all that. Uh, show me a great company, uh, and maybe I'm old-fashioned and show me great product and show me vision and leadership that gets the product and i'll show you a really great business if they operate it well now uh, i always had data my data was my selling report and uh... as we used to say uh, at the apple board meetings uh, you know you gotta see around corners right. and i don't think i am not sure what the definition of algorithms I, I feel you know i should know but uh, it's about an instinct, a feel, and what's out there. I, right. I feel instinct and, and intuition is critical in any product business. When you were on uh, Steve Jobs' a- Apple
1: board, did you talk much about retail? And what did you learn from him about retail, and
5: what did you teach him? Well, I, I think with Steve, uh, he, I, I taught him, and then he became like the greatest student in the world. You know, I, I think he, uh, we, we did the first store together. Uh, we uh, spent a lot of time initially, uh, but he went on to build what is arguably the greatest retail empire in the world. Uh, and the stores to this day, and this was about 10, 15 years ago, are extraordinarily successful. extraordinary. But you
1: don't want to do, I mean, you have one brick and you, you, you want that lower price that you can get without the rent and the double markup, right? I mean,
5: Well, always, I'm allergic to the double markup. Right. And I realized that when I started my career as a buyer at Bloomingdale's. Uh, you, you know, you're always paying inflated prices. And there weren't discounters then like there are today. Okay, so
1: uh, curated. Uh, by, I, I always like to have a salesperson help me. What do I do if I go to Alex Mill?
5: Well, first of all, if you go there, there's there's only five of us there. Okay. It's very easy right now. Hopefully, it might not be as easy when we have stores. We have one one temporary store. I hate the word right. pop up. Right. And, and and I think the other thing is, you don't need huge assortments right. to shop anymore. You don't need them not to shop. Never did you need a huge assortment. Focus. On the best.
1: Okay, and then finally, uh, price tariffs. We have to worry about that. I know
4: you source all
5: over the globe. Well, well, we we source. Well, we're very tiny. Uh, what we've done is we've negotiated with the factories that we do business with in Asia. So we'll pay some tariff, but not the full uh, the full amount.
1: And if i am I too old for Alex Mill?
5: Not at all. Not at all. Because I'm older than you, and I ain't too old. <laughs>
1: you are the so. best. This man taught me. You hear me talk about retailers all the time. My dad, because he sold boxes back to retailers, he told me some. And this man taught me the rest. And this is the man who actually is probably the greatest teacher of retail in all time. I hope you just learned something. And maybe we all go to Alex Mill and do some buying. Mickey Drexler, chairman of Alex Mill and founder of Drexler. Adventures. Thank you so much, Vince. Thank you. We have money back. Okay. Break. Thank you. It is time for the lightning round. Of course, one of us hit a bye bye. And then the lightning rounds are are you ready, Skeet? Dad, the lightning round. is with Let's go to Eileen and George.
4: Eileen. Yes, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I am looking to buy stock for grandchildren, okay. and I was thinking of Verizon.
1: Oh, my. 4% yield. Good bye balance sheet. Good business. I say bye-bye-bye. Let's go to... Stop it. Let's go to Allen in California. Allen. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Couldn't be better. Say, Well, a little under the weather. What's up? I want to hear... Talk about um CXW. CSA. So now, private prisons, we are against those. They no, are sell, sell, sell. We've been against them forever. Jim in Georgia. Jim!
2: Boobie Ah from Madison, Georgia. Certifiably the best small town in America, buddy. I didn't know I'm interested that. I know in a lot of the small of towns, but you
5: probably
1: can't put it. No! No, no, no. It never does anything. and I don't like the fact that we don't really know what's in that portfolio. We're going to say no to uh Just a sec. I think I might have a little bit of Pepto face there. Let's go to Dave in Indiana. Dave, yeah, Jim, thanks for taking the call from the Hoosier
0: State. My yes, in his anthem. I've been with them.
1: What about the I mean, Dave Anthem? Uh, I like Anthem. Everybody hates it. It's just the Warren factor, not me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the the mm. Lightning Round is
3: sponsored
0: by TD Ameritrade.
1: I've said over and over that the Fed needs to cut interest rates, right here, right now. But we constantly hear from people who claim that would be a mistake. I just don't think these hard money proponents should be taken seriously. Is there a coherent good-faith argument against cutting interest rates right now? Call me skeptical. There are two camps here. You've got the ideologues who oppose every rate cut. They're terrified of inflation, even when it's non-existent. A lot of them want to go back on the gold standard, for heaven's sake. That's a very bad idea. And then you've got another kind of ideologue, people who are so partisan that they're rooting for a recession so that Trump won't get reelected. I get rooting for your team, but that's not exactly an honest argument. Now, we don't have a political agenda here on Matt money aside from higher stock prices. And I can tell you in no certain terms that rate cuts would be good for the economy and therefore would be good for the stock market. I don't care about it carp for a horse, okay? I can't believe I even need to make this argument, though. It should be axiomatic that a lower federal funds rate is good for business, just like a higher federal funds rate slammed the brakes on the economy when the Fed tightened too far too fast last year. Granted, long-term interest rates tend to be more important, and those are already uber low. I admit that. But auto loans are often priced off the short rates that are set by the Fed. Right now, the auto industry desperately needs a boost. By the way, home equity loans are priced off the short rate. Now, whenever I make this argument, the hard money ideologues go into overdrive. They go on Twitter, of course. They call me a cheerleader for higher stock prices. They say the Fed shouldn't cut uh, just because the stock market wants it. That's wrong. It's not the stock market. It's the much larger bond market. It's demanding some rate cuts. When the benchmark 10-year Treasury yields 1.67% less than the overnight Fed funds rate, that's the bond market screaming to the Fed chief, we're headed for a slowdown, help us! And we're headed for a slowdown, the Fed's supposed to cushion the blow by giving us some rate cuts. Most importantly, going into earnings season, lower rates will give us hope that come next year, we won't have to hear about how our companies have been losing market share overseas to their foreign competitors or are losing money on a translation... After they have to sell those lousy currencies and buy dollars. Right now, American businesses are getting hammered by that strong dollar, which makes our products less competitive. It doesn't help that China and Europe have moved aggressively to devalue. The Fed can stop that imbalance with a stroke of a pen. Our trading partners have stuck it to us endlessly with their weak currencies. We should at least help our own. Some people argue that if the Fed cuts too aggressively, we'll end up with negative interest rates. I say, so what? Our rates didn't go negative during the Great Recession. I doubt they'll go negative this time. And even if that does happen, as it's happened in Europe, I guarantee you we have more bigger fish to fry if that happens because rates don't go negative unless something's very wrong. Look, if the White House keeps prosecuting its trade war and commodity prices keep sinking and enterprise technology spending keeps falling, that's going to hurt the economy. It'll hurt the job market. And, yes, it'll hurt the stock market. Fortunately, there's an easy way to solve the problem. The Fed needs to cut and cut strongly now. So understand... When someone argues against rate cuts here at a time when we hardly have any inflation, they're saying they want a recession. Call me crazy. I do not want a recession for you, for me, for any American. It'd be bad. I can't make it any simpler than that. Stick with me. Trade talks on, trade talks off, trade talks on. Too hard, guys. Let's just be very careful. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you
2: tomorrow. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.